Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about redistricting in the state of Ohio. The the 2020 census has been concluded, and in addition to that, the numbers are now available as to where Ohio uh, resides as far as the numbers of how we will be represented in Washington and also in Columbus. Ohio is going to be losing a congressional seat as there has been population shift to places like Texas and Florida. And so other states like New York and California also lost congressional seats. And so we're seeing a shift of the uh, representation of the congressional map. But in Ohio, we will be losing one more uh, congressional seat. We're going to be talking with Brian Williams. He is the co-chair of the Ohio Republican Party. He is also the chairman of the Summit County Republican Party. And he previously was chairman of the Summit County Board of Elections in years past. So we're going to be talking about the redistricting commission and how it's operating. This is a whole new uh, idea of how we will go about redrawing district lines here in the state of Ohio. The state legislature a few years ago went ahead and passed this legislation uh, in a bipartisan way between Democrats and Republicans of how the new district lines would be drawn. Currently, meetings are being held in locations across Ohio. There's already been two hearings of where the public is able to weigh in on how the district lines will represent the people in those areas. Here to talk more with us is Brian Williams. Brian, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Well, thank you for joining us today. Now, of course, this is a whole new process. So if you would, give us a breakdown of how traditionally, over the last few decades, how district lines were drawn and how that how that was conducted. Well, after a census, there is a commission when it comes to state legislative districts that was set by the Ohio Constitution. It was made up of five voting members, the state auditor, the state attorney general, the secretary of state. I'm sorry, not the attorney general, the secretary of state and the governor, as well as the member of the House and Senate leadership of both political parties. And so uh, that commission then would uh, take the population and divide it by the number of districts they had to create, 33 in the Ohio Senate, 99 in the Ohio House. They were allowed to be within plus or minus 5% of that number, whatever the number is, and um, and then they would draw the districts. It Along came computers in the 1990s, and uh, they always had computers, but the computers got better and better, and they started to be able to dissect these districts with pinpoint precision, uh, and the the invitation or the temptation to draw districts uh, based right down to the neighborhood and street level, as opposed to the community level, was irresistible, as majority party uh, always wanted to draw the most number of districts most favorable to their party. That's what we commonly call gerrymandering. Now, over the last uh, couple of decades, Ohio has lost congressional seats, not because mm-hmm. we lost population. It's just that Ohio's population did not grow at the rate some other states were growing, like California or New York. 
Now they also are losing population as the unpopular democratic policies of high taxation and liberal policies are actually driving people from their state and going to more, well, friendly states when it comes to taxes. And when we see a lot of aged re- uh, Americans retiring, they're going to those states that are favorable to them in their sun uh, twilight years as far as retirement. So we're seeing the Carolinas pick up uh, uh uh, population as well as Florida and Texas and some of the southern states. And, of course, Tennessee is seeing an explosion of growth as well. But uh, Ohio, again, hasn't really been losing population, although this last census, it did does look like we've lost some population. What does the numbers look like? Well, you're right, generally speaking, uh, Chris, in the sense that Ohio has not lost population in any of the past five de- decades. We've actually grown a a small amount in each of those decades, but because other states are growing faster than we are, their proportional share of the 435 congressional representatives got bigger at our expense. And so Ohio has lost a, a one or two seats in every decade for the past five decades. I will point out, you did make a good point, California, for the first time since the gold rush, uh, it lost a congressional seat not because their population is shrinking, although it is, it has gotten smaller with regard to the growth that you see in all of the other Sun Belt states, from the Carolinas, Georgia, down to Florida, Texas, Arizona. Those states are growing faster in population, so they've got, they've added New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois. We've been losing, and Michigan, we've been losing our representative, uh, our representatives for the past five just decades as the Sun Belt has, has grown. Now, it's also important to note that the, pop, the census counts people, regardless of their status for citizenship. And so as states like California, Arizona, and Texas grow because of their headcount grows because of the number of people populated in their state, that gets incorporated into the congressional apportionment. Regardless of their uh, immigration status, whether they're actually United States citizens or not. Let's take a look at, we currently have 16 congressional districts. We will now be winnowed down to 15 congressional districts. And that's where the census of 2020 and the new formula of redrawing district lines now comes into play. So let's talk a little bit about that process. So um, as you mentioned, the office holders of state auditors, secretary of state, the governor's office, the Ohio House and Ohio Senate, representatives on this commission of redrawing the district line, a representation of the general public. And currently, the Republicans dominate that, and they have the last couple of election cycles, which the Democrats are kind of whining about uh, because they feel as if they're not getting fair representation, but they're not winning elections either at the same time. So and as one friend uh, uh, told me, he said, well, it looks like Ohio is going red mostly. It's, it's less of a purple state, more of a red state. And the recent elections nationally would prove that. In fact, President Trump won Ohio by eight percentage points, uh, where other states did not fare so well, and he did not win the uh, re-election. Of course, the disputes in the uh, election audits are still continuing. There was some nefarious activity that took place, uh, no, without question, in a number of battleground states. But that aside... Uh, here we go, re- drawing redistricting lines in Ohio. So we're going to be redrawing congressional lines, Ohio House, Ohio Senate, and there's hearings now that are being conducted so that the public can weigh on this. I don't think that's entirely a bad idea. I think that's a good idea, unless some of the for early meetings have been 
where some of the notorious characters, in my opinion, when they say, well, the League of Women Voters, well, the League of Women Voters, oh, that sounds like a grandiose term. <laughs> it's a very left-wing Democratic group. It doesn't represent all women voting, for not, for sure. And I've seen these groups, and we're the public policy group, the Ohio Christian Alliance, and that group is very partisan, very liberal, very leftist, and you got the teachers' unions and these different characters showing up to these meetings. That's not representation of the general public. You surely want a mix of people polit- of political persuasion in these meetings uh, to weigh in. Of course, it's an open public meeting, so anyone can attend, but it seems as if they're flooding the meeting, as it were. And, uh, and unfortunately, it sounds like in the one audio clip I heard, ridiculing some of the people who may have differed with them. Uh, look, public discourse is in fine, and we're going to disagree, but let's do it civilly. Your thoughts? Uh, of course. Um, you know, I always tell, advise my friends, take your politics seriously, but do not take it personally. Uh, other people are entitled to their opinion. They're entitled to their deeply held opinion. However wrong and uninformed or ill-advised those opinions may or may not be, and, you know, we always have to hold out the fact that maybe our opinion isn't perfect or flawless, or compatible with somebody else's decision-making criteria. But when we get angry to the point where we lack civility, uh, then we risk getting to the point where we lack the ability to work with each other under one government. And that brings chaos. That brings just uh, all sorts of bad outcomes. Um, it, it ultimately leads, leads to violence. It can. Well, the first meetings took place on August 23rd. That was on Monday. We had one at Cleveland State University, another one at Youngstown State University. Uh, looks like uh, last night they were at Sinclair Community College and University of Cincinnati. And then tonight there will be meetings at Ohio University in Zanesville and uh, Rio Grande Community College. So there are, um, and you can go to the website of the Ohio Redistricting Commission, and these meetings will be uh, through the month of August to the end of the month, uh, where you can come in and uh, express your opinion about the redraw of the district lines and how you might uh, feel that you would be better represented if uh, the lines were drawn. Well, depending upon what your opinion is. Your thoughts, Brian? Yes, I, I think it's nice. Uh, we have a very transparent process set up so that people can observe um, the dialogue about redistricting with the online ability to watch it on a, uh, these meetings are taking place across the state at public universities. They're well advertised in the sense that if you go to the website, you can find them, you can watch them in person or you can watch them on the internet and you can testify in person and you can testify, uh, in writing. And so there's opportunities for the public to give their input, but let's be clear. The legislators who are assembled, they're not listening. It is, in my view, and I think most uh, legislators would privately agree, uh, something of a dog and pony show. While people have the opportunity to go testify, the legislators are are not really listening, and they're not looking for public input as to how districts uh, should be drawn and how how communities uh, could blend themselves together better if they do it this way rather than that way. Well, the hearings are going to be conducted and concluded by the end of the month. What's the next step then for the commission? Uh, Then the next step is the two parties, the Democrats and Republican parties who make up membership on this committee, will retreat and they will strategize. The Republicans will actually draw districts. They have their own set of computers, they have their own attorneys, and they have their own maps and guidelines. They will go and retreat 
they will create, without the input of Democrats, in a private room where the public is not invited to participate, and they will come up, the leadership will come up with draft um, maps. They will then take it and reveal it at a public meeting. They might uh, pass it around. They might give the Democrats an advanced look at what they're going to do. Who knows? Um, probably not. And then the Democrats are going to cry foul, insist that they're not going to vote for those. And then they will try, the Democrats will try and negotiate, um, and the Republicans will invite them to negotiate. Okay, you don't like these maps. What maps would you accept? And they'll have a chance to make a counteroffer. The, the reason why Republicans will listen to that counteroffer, they, they won't necessarily agree to it, but they will at least listen to what the Democrats want. There's a reason, and the system that we are operating under now for the first time ever in this uh, decennial census is that if they can get two minority party votes, and by minority party I mean Democrat party votes on this commission, then these, pl- these maps will stay in effect for the next 10 years. If they cannot get a minimum amount of minority uh, participation, uh, then the maps will only stay in place for four years. And in four years, they'll have to redraw the map. Uh, And so the Republic, you know, it's a tough, you you would like to have your maps in place for 10 years because you don't know who's going to make up the commission in four years. You could have a new governor, you could have a new secretary of state, you could have um, an auditor of the different political parties. And so the the balance could shift uh, on that apportionment board. And so the majority party should want to at least listen for the moment to see if the minority party is making an offer they can accept for the longer districting. I personally do not believe that will happen. Uh, knowing Vern Sykes, who is a Democrat, and his daughter Emily Sykes, who is also a Democrat, he is the House, the Senate member. She is a, a, a House member, and they're both on the redistricting commission. Knowing them, and they and I participated in redistricting with Vern Sykes in the past, knowing how they think, they will ask for what I like to say is a lumberyard in exchange for a toothpick and then be shocked that nobody gives them what they want. Um, and therefore, we're probably going to get districts that have no Democrat support uh, drawn by the Republican majority, and they will only be in existence for four years, and we'll have to do this exercise all over again in four more years. Well, we're talking about the redistricting um, website, Ohio Redistricting Commission, and the website is redistricting.ohio.gov. You can go there, see the uh, members who are on the commission currently. You can also see the schedule of meetings and actually watch the meetings online. If you can't get there in person, they do stream them live, and they also archive them on the website as well. So there is a place for public input. If you'd like to uh, submit written testimony or comments to the commission, you could do so also at the website, redistrictingohio.gov. Now, Brian, of course, as you just uh, spelled out, this was an agreement that was made in the Ohio General Assembly uh, this last uh, couple years, and this was an agreement between the Democrats and Republicans. And so... In us, its essence here, the minority party gets a veto vote. It doesn't go into effect immediately, but if they don't vote in support of these dis- district lines, that, as you say, four years later they'll be reviewed. Of course, the minority party is hoping that after a midterm election, they may pick up additional seats of a Senate president, a Speaker of the House, maybe even a governor or an auditor or a Secretary of State. And if that's the case, then they're gambling for the future that uh, the district lines um, 
would be redrawn in a more of a democratic favor. So um, we're seeing this play out across the country, obviously in Pennsylvania and also uh, in other states where um, actually where Republicans are in the minority, they have actually, the Democrats have actually been a very abusive in the way that they've redrawn the lines, uh, trying to make it as, it, and especially in California, where Republicans feel as if they have no representation whatsoever. So uh, if anyone's listening and thinking, wow, this doesn't sound very balanced, well, this is sometimes the political reality, but the fact of the matter is, is that um, Republicans are winning these statewide elected officials. That doesn't have that doesn't have to do anything with uh, district lines. That has everything to do with just turnout. Uh, but you know, then when uh, these districts are drawn, but before we do that, let's talk about minority districts because according to the Civil Rights Code, that did change some things up, and there has to be minority districts that represent minority members in Congress. Explain. Well, the word "have to" is a little strong, and the and the. Laws and the court decisions on that are evolving as we speak and have been evolving for the past 15 or more years. Uh, under the 1964 Voter Rights Act, there was this notion that it, 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 was a, it was created by a court case after the implementation of the Voting Rights Act. And there was this notion that if you can draw a district that has a majority of a racial minority, you should do so. And, um, and courts allowed, even if the district was gerrymandered, like, for instance, here in Ohio, we have a gerrymandered district that is a minority-majority district that was drawn in 2010, but when the Republicans had all the majority, and it basically took Cleveland, downtown Cleveland, and downtown Akron, and connected them into one congressional district, crossing over county lines, which is not, which other rules say you cannot do unless you have a higher reason to do so. Uh, crossing over county line connected by a land bridge. Uh, that that we drew two minority majority districts in Ohio, uh, one in down in the Columbus area, one in Summit County and Cuyahoga County area. Uh, that district in Summit and Cuyahoga County has, in order to draw that district again in 2021, we have to break so many rules with reg- other rules about keeping counties whole, keeping communities whole, and not cutting them in in, in half that it's going to be very, very difficult to draw a majority-minority district in Summit County, uh, that includes Summit County. And therefore, if you just have Cuyahoga County by itself, uh, that would be a, a prevalent, have a minority, racial minority prevalence, but not a majority. And I'm looking at that the district is number 11, of course, that runs from uh, Lake Erie and through Cleveland all the way down to Akron, of course, in Summit County is what you're referring to. Yes. Also, another uh, Democratic uh, district is down in Franklin County. That would be, um, I think it's the third congressional. Yeah, and yes. that's a, that, that is a minority district as well. Explain that one. Uh, that district is all in Franklin County, which is the city of Columbus. And because of its size, it doesn't have to cross into neighboring counties. So they will not be violating, in order to redraw a district very similar to that now, they would not have to uh, break other redistricting laws that exist that, that prohibit you from crossing over county lines if you don't need to. Because Cuyahoga County is not big enough to substantiate, they had to come into Summit County, um, that's going to be harder to do under the new rules. When I look at this redistricting commission website, I don't see the uh, congressional lines. How then uh, it shows the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate, 
in what order, then, are the districts uh, then drawn? Is it uh, starting with the House and Senate, then the Congressional? How does it work? Yes. There are actually two separate exercises. One is the apportionment for state legislative districts. That's what's going on now. And then immediately thereafter, we're going to draw... This commission will be reassembled for the purpose of drawing the congressional districts, which will then be passed and then sent to the governor, passed by the, given to the legislature to approve, and then signed into law by the governor. And again, the members of this commission currently are Speaker of the House Robert Cup, Fern Sykes, State Senator, Matt Huffman, Senate President, Amelia Sykes, House Minority Leader, Governor Mike DeWine, Auditor Keith Faber, and Secretary of State Frank LaRose. These are the members of the commission. That's two Democrats and five Republicans. Uh, that's how the vote's going to go, as you say. But again, unless uh, the Sykes, uh, both, uh, both dad and daughter, uh, vote in a concurrence, uh, there's going to be a redraw in four years, or at least a consideration for a redraw. If there's not much change as far as the uh, commission seats, then they may just stay the same. In other words, if the Democrats are still in the minority, your thoughts? Yeah, that's true. And you know, I, I always point out to people, when, when you take the five statewide offices that are not subject to gerrymandering and the presidential races since 1990, we've had uh, eight elections for both. And of those, Republicans have won 39 of those statewide elections. Democrats have won nine. So given that Republican advantage over the last 31 years in terms of voting statewide where there is no gerrymandering, this is a Republican state, and it has been for the past 30 years. And so it is likely uh, to, it is not a guarantee, but it is likely that even in four years, the Republicans would still have uh, a majority on this districting commission. We've been talking with Brian Williams. He is the co-chair of the Ohio Republican Party. He is also the chairman of the Summit County Republican Party. Brian, this has been very helpful to the listeners. Again, the website is redistrictingohio.gov. Let me ask you this key question. When might we see the new maps? What's the deadline? What's the timetable? I think we'll see them in about two weeks, uh, the first draft. Uh, we'll see arguing back and forth between Democrats and Republicans for about five days. And then the following week, uh, the, the commission will vote. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian, for being on the program, Dave. It's very helpful. We learned a lot today. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks for having me. All right. Again, uh, the website is Ohio Redistricting Commission. That's redistrictingohio.gov. So it's redistricting.ohio.gov. Well, on the other side, we're going to talk about the explosive hearings that took place in Columbus on House Bill 248. And that's the vaccine freedom bill that had hearings in the health committee. Literally 1,000 testimonies were submitted to the committee, as well as uh, there were protesters outside. As the vaccine mandates are coming down across the state of Ohio, risking people's employment. It doesn't seem like they're giving us much of a choice about the vaccine, but there are people that are determined to have the decision of their own health and religious conscience when it comes to the vaccine. We're going to talk about that on the other side, so stay with us. And we're also going to be telling you about the Ohio Christian Alliance Freedom Banquet coming up on September the 17th at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton. You can register at our website at ohioca.org. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Okay, when we're back, and we're going to be talking about the Vaccine Freedom Bill. That's House Bill 248. Uh, that's uh, Representative Jennifer Gross, who introduced that bill, has a number of co-sponsors in the Ohio House. And if, essentially what it does is give exceptions, uh, exemptions for people that do not want to get the vaccine for health reasons, personal reasons, or religious conscience reasons. Yet what we're seeing across the country and here in Ohio is now mandate after mandate by employers, starting with a number of Ohio hospital and health systems are beginning to mandate that their employers, or employees, excuse me, get the vaccine. We're talking about the COVID-19 vaccine. Well, again, uh, this last week there was news because that uh, the FDA started to give approval to the vaccines. Many believe that they would not do that, as normally it's a 10-year process uh, with lots of clinical study and field testing of a vaccine to see if there indeed is complications with a vaccine before they give full FDA uh, approval of a vaccine. Well, there's been reporting of the COVID-19 vaccines, of course, on what is called the VAERS website. That's a voluntary reporting site of the CDC that was launched back in 1990. And uh, when people started having complications with vaccines, they wanted them to report them. And they would, with their physicians or with uh, the hospital or the attending clinic, would help these individuals to report what is either an anomaly, meaning a complication, a serious complication, even a death associated with vaccines. Well, the COVID-19 vaccines have had over 500,000 anomalies that have been reported. These are serious complications of the vaccine. 
and many believe that that number is well under. Again, it's a volunteering reporting system. We get testimony after testimony. You're going to hear some testimony that came from the committee yesterday uh, of an individual who, who, who is actually children, and uh, his family members have had problems with vaccines and the COVID vaccine, and yet some of them have not been reported yet. There's also been reported on the VARS website 24,000 deaths associated with the vaccines. You would think at that point that we would be putting a stop on the implementation of these vaccines until there's been further evidence as to the safety of them. But just the, re- the opposite is happening. It seems as if they're running headlong to rush it in to approve them and actually uh, recklessly, in my opinion, in the opinion of many. Well, it comes down to a matter of choice, right? What goes into my body should be my choice. It should be your choice. But unfortunately, there are those who are now making it a condition for employment here in the state of Ohio, number of hospital systems, and we've talked about that with the sponsor of this bill, whether it was Ohio Health or Cardinal Health or SUMA Hospitals or the Cincinnati Hospitals, they all have given a mandate of vaccine with very few exceptions for exemptions of their employees. And this will affect literally hundreds, possibly thousands of quality health care workers, the same health care workers, by the way, who actually worked on the front lines last year when there was no vaccine, when there wasn't even enough uh, protection of the equipment that they needed, of masks and gloves and the type of mask. The N95 masks were not available, yet they work through their shift as nurses, doctors, and assistants, and uh, nurses' aides. And yet, they, we counted them as heroes. Now, we're showing them the door because they have chosen, either for health reasons, personal reasons, or religious reasons, why not to get the vaccine. Shouldn't they have that choice? Well, I want to share with you the testimony that we provided to the committee. And this is another thing that happened. They were receiving so many testimonies, they gave an arbitrary deadline of Friday, August 20th. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've been doing public policy for 20 years, representing people of faith and the Christian interest with the Ohio Christian Alliance for 20 years. I have submitted lots of testimony over the years on lots of committees and lots of subjects. I have never had a testimony that was turned in in time turned back. The standard time is 24 hours before a committee, and I have this in front of me on my desktop here of all the committee notices from the civil justice uh, to judiciary and uh, all the other kinds of uh, uh, commissions or committees at the State House. all say, please submit it 24 hours in advance. Of course, that's a courtesy to the staff so that they might process it and load it up on the iPads for the, the, uh, the, the uh, committee members, of course. So we went ahead on Monday morning. The committee was not until Tuesday at 11, and at 9 a.m. we were submitting our testimony. I sent over the witness slip and the testimony, and they responded back. It's too late. You can't have your testimony. I said, wait a second. It's within 24 hours. They And I said, please enter my testimony. It's written only. I won't be there in person. I won't be taking committee time, but I am submitting written testimony for the committee. And yet they turned it back. I'm telling you, folks, this is an unprecedented move by Chairman Scott Lips of the Health Committee, and I was told that there were a number of people who had their testimonies turned away, and still there was a 1,000 that was submitted to the committee for 
consideration of supporting House Bill 248. Now, not all supporting, there were opponents, but a lot of people, the majority were supporting House Bill 248. Now, let me read to you our testimony. We appreciate the fact that the House Speaker, uh, the House Leadership, excuse me, and the Chairman of this committee have moved House Bill 248 up on the schedule for hearings. As the situation for healthcare workers in the state of Ohio over the COVID-19 vaccine mandate has become an urgent matter. A number of Ohio hospitals and healthcare systems have already announced that they are mandating the COVID-19 vaccine as a condition of employment. Many nurses, nursing assistants, technicians, and other healthcare workers, including physicians, are now faced with employment termination if they do not comply with the COVID-19 vaccine mandate at their employers are, that their employers are requiring. In just a matter of weeks, hundreds, if not thousands, of Ohio healthcare workers will be leaving their current jobs at their hospitals and healthcare facilities because they have no choice or meaningful exemption to not take the COVID-19 vaccine. These same healthcare workers who were heralded as heroes last year on the front lines of treating COVID patients are now being ridiculed and shown the door if they do not take the COVID-19 vaccine. Many of them cannot take the vaccine for health reasons, religious conscience, or for personal reasons. Also, many of them have been exposed to COVID, have had COVID and recovered, and are immune. More and more information is being available to the general public that immunities are lasting much longer than what was first reported. What is becoming apparent is that the COVID-19 vaccines are limited in their protection, that they have side effects, and some reports indicate serious side effects. The FDA is not yet fully approved. Of course, this was written before. They did approve it the day before. They are still under emergency authorization and are experimental. That would be the other two uh, vaccines that have not yet been uh, approved. Uh, I go on to say it makes no sense for these hospitals and healthcare facilities to mandate an experimental vaccine that leaves little or no room for exemption for their employees. Why this matter is urgent is that these individuals are adamant in their beliefs concerning the vaccine. If the pro- projected numbers of healthcare workers leave their, these hospitals that are already understaffed, healthcare quality in the state of Ohio will be greatly reduced. Many of these healthcare workers have decades of experience. One small hospital in Northeast Ohio is facing as much as 40% of its employees leaving over the vaccine mandate issue. Many Ohioans have chosen to take the COVID-19 vaccine, and other Ohioans, for health reasons or for personal reasons, are choosing not to take the vaccine. HB 248 will aid them with the exemptions they need to retain their employment and continue to serve the people of Ohio in the health care system. These are dedicated and caring health care workers who work tirelessly to help the patients at their facilities. They now need this committee to step up and pass HB 248 so that they can continue to provide quality health care to the people of Ohio. Thank you, Chairman Lips and Ranking Member Russo and members of the House Health Committee for hearing our testimony in support of House Bill 248. Well, that is the testimony we submitted but wasn't received for the record. And that was unprecedented as the Ohio Christian Alliance has been turned back, but we weren't alone. Many nurses and doctors and healthcare workers who also submitted testimony they didn't receive. So I got to tell you, that's a breach of protocol. And I know that a chairman has discretion, but I'm going to tell you that's bad public policy and it won't be tolerated. And we're going to write a letter of complaint to the speaker's office 
and to the majority's office about that. Well, I want to take you now to a clip of a testimony of a similar hearing that was conducted in Michigan just last week, where nurses and doctors and healthcare workers were coming into committee to express the same concerns as they are facing mandates and termination, loss of their jobs if they don't take the COVID-19 vaccine. Again, many of them cannot for health reasons. Let's hear this testimony from this nurse in Michigan. My name is Katie and I've been a Michigan resident for 35 years. I graduated from the University of Michigan with a Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Science in Nursing. I'm in my 11th year of nursing and I've worked for a very prominent healthcare system in Michigan since 2014. I am or was an educator on a general practice unit where we do care for COVID patients, most of which are fully vaccinated. The threats from my employer all started in March of 2020 when I, like many others, received an email stating I was deployed to help during the pandemic and to care for COVID patients. If I did not accept, I would be suspended for three days, offered the same assignment, and if I refused, I would be fired. I was deployed for three months and, like many others, received no COVID pay while caring for COVID patients. We did run out of PPE on many units and many hospitals. No one likes to hear this, but it is the ugly truth. We made it work because we had no other choice. We risked our lives and the lives of our families. Many of us left our shifts feeling like a walking biohazard, like we were the virus. People shunned us and we shunned other people out of fear. The isolation, the physical and mental strain, and the emotional strain taken on by the healthcare community is tremendous. We stepped up to serve and the people called us heroes, a title we did not ask for but that we earned through our service. In June of 2021, I received an email from my employer threatening termination, this time for noncompliance with their COVID vaccine mandate. The hospital offered COVID listening sessions for staff to ask questions. I attended and did ask questions respectfully. Shortly after, I was greeted by leadership and administration stating that they noticed I was at the sessions and that I seemed distressed. They said I needed to take a week off work to think. I was told that as a leader, it is not my job to question policy. This was followed up with an email from administration stating I would be off work for the week and I needed to report to them upon my return. When I did return, I was pulled aside for a meeting with administration in the middle of my 12-hour shift with a six-patient assignment and a nursing student. I was warned that I could have been fired for my questions at the listening sessions. I was warned that as a leader, I must get on board with what the system is doing. I was told not to answer any further questions regarding the COVID vaccine. I was out finding another job and told that if I disagree with this mandate, I should be respectful to leadership and administration and resign my position. Since then, I've been pulled aside almost every shift and asked, for example, do you have questions about the mandate or your termination? Or how do you feel about me posting your position? They are taking a head count and actively attempting to fill our positions before we are even gone. It's disgusting, it's constant harassment, and it's true discrimination. Managers have been sent a list of employees on their unit who have not been vaccinated. These staff are now being pulled aside one by one and questioned. They are being pressured, coerced, and intimidated into receiving the vaccine. They are being told they won't be able to find other jobs in healthcare, and those in school are being told they must comply in order to receive future education. We have now been branded anti-vaxxers and have scarlet letters on our chest. I ask you, what happened to HIPAA? Is medical segregation okay? Should we also be stripped of our right to bodily autonomy? Do we really not deserve a choice? The hospital is now offering a $10,000 sign-on bonus for nurses and 25 extra per hour for extra shifts. They're actively recruiting Canadian and agency nurses. Please, I ask you to consider who will care for you when these hospitals force us to voluntarily resign our positions for refusal of vaccine mandate. After working through this entire pandemic and risking our lives, they will even make receiving unemployment a challenge. Please remember, healthcare workers did not get a COVID vacation to sit safely at home and receive extra government stimulus from their couches. This is a term I've really 
really grown to resent. We worked and we risked our lives for the patient, the same patients we are now being deemed unsafe to care for. We may be in a vulnerable position being hit when we are already down, but we will not be taken advantage of and we do deserve a choice. Let's be clear, we are not being presented with a choice from these hospitals. We are being presented with an ultimatum, do it or else. We are being forced to decide between risking debilitating injury or death from this experimental vaccine with the highest mortality rate in history, which of course will not be covered by the manufacturer, government, or hospital, or losing our jobs and financial stability. Many nurses are leaving healthcare altogether. Exemptions are not the answer. We should not be forced to apply for an exemption from a mandate that is unconstitutional in the first place. Freedom is the answer. We went from hero to zero, essential to completely expendable. Please help us. Help us to protect our freedom of choice. It's the best things you can give to all healthcare workers and to your community. Our bodies are choice, and we ask you for liberty and justice for all. That was a testimony at a committee hearing on August the 19th in Michigan before the state legislature in RN, and she was tremendous, as you could just hear the passion in her voice and, of course, very emotional. It's been very emotional to doctors, nurses, nurses' aides, physicians' assistants, even housekeepers and, and aides, people that work in the hospital, people that you've depended on when you've gone to the hospital, people that have helped you with a smile. Their jobs are being threatened. They're not going to take the vaccine. Let me ask you a question. Would you take something that you would question your health, that, that, that would compromise your health, if that's what you believe? Now, again, one size doesn't fit all. We're not saying we're anti-vax. I've taken vaccines my whole life. But this has been an experimental drug. And, of course, now the FDA politically has authorized it through the Biden administration. Let's be honest here what's going on here. This isn't a proper approval of FDA, and unfortunately, government is failing us at this point. There will be time to debate that as time goes on. We're talking about individual choice and freedom here. We're talking about religious liberty. We're talking about health freedom. We're talking about personal choice. That's what our Constitution and our representative form of government was based upon. Well, again, that exercise was played out in the committee yesterday of House Bill 248, the Vaccine Freedom Bill, here in the Ohio legislature in the House Health Committee. Before the committee comes uh, uh, Mr. Scott Shoemaker, and he's going to present before the committee. Let's go to his testimony. Scott, welcome to committee. Please proceed. Thank you, Chairman Lips. Chairman Lips, Vice Chair Holmes, Ranking Member Rousseau, who's also my representative, and honorable members of the health, House Health Committee, thank you for the opportunity to present testimony in support of Substitute House Bill 248. Again, my name is Scott Shoemaker, and I'm the father of three children, two of whom were injured by vaccines, and I recovered them both by doing what doctors warned me against doing. I also have an extended family member who was injured in her teens by the Gardasil vaccine, and most recently, an aunt who suffered a severe heart attack within only hours of her second COVID-19 injection. Vaccine injury is very real and very common in my family. And the thought of my children being exposed to forced vaccine mandates, passports, and discrimination for not consuming a liability-free medical product is unsettling for not just me, but an overwhelming portion of the population. Now, I know we got into the COVID, the, the uh, vaccine injury uh, data from the VAERS database, but I just want to say one thing. I'll just skip through this since you've already heard the statistics, that even if a quarter of these deaths were legitimate, that would still put us probably over 3,250 deaths. 
And a lot of these um, injuries are not even reported. For instance, my aunt's heart attack, as serious as it was, it almost killed her. It was never reported. In the 1970s, there were between 50 and 75 people that died from the swine flu vaccine that was marketed to the public. The vaccine was pulled from the market because of the dangers it presented and the deaths and injuries that it caused. It was a huge failure. Today, the pharmaceutical industry was developed, has developed vaccines for COVID-19 that have killed and injured thousands, according to VAERS. Now, that number is still uncertain. And many of these people had no previous medical conditions. Yet the media, the government, and some doctors and businesses are harassing and bullying Ohioans and trying to make them feel selfish for not getting it. And it is rapidly getting worse. What has changed since the 1970s? And quite simply, where there's risk, there must be choice. I'm also the president of an organization called Health Freedom Ohio. And we have met and spoken with many of you. It's nice to see you again. Until these last several months, we mostly represented the parents of vaccine-injured children who are terrified that their children will live in a world of discrimination and or mandates and potentially face further harm. It is a very realistic and legitimate reason to be scared. More recently, we have had hundreds more Ohioans, many of them medical professionals and college students and their parents that are reaching out to us, embracing our organization and rejecting the COVID-19 vaccine as it is being forced on them for various reasons. Many of these people are in danger of losing their jobs and some students not able to attend classes. For all I know, my own job may be in jeopardy. That was a testimony yesterday in front of the Ohio House Health Committee. Uh, and you can see all of these testimonies at the website. So what you want to do is go to the Ohio House and then go to the Health Committee and then you can see the video of yesterday's hearing, and you can also read the testimonies that were submitted. They're all loaded up there as well, and that would be under uh, Ohio House Health Committee. And so I encourage you to do that, to listen to the testimonies and the passion before the committee. Well, that was House Bill 248. It had its sixth hearing yesterday. Well, we're receiving reports that the bill may not go any further, that it might be dead. Uh, that's unfortunate. It seems as if the, US, uh, the uh, Chamber of Commerce in Ohio is opposing the bill, and other interests are opposing the bill, so the legislature is not willing to move it forward. Now, they may work on exemptions and other pieces of legislation, but the, the time is critical. As you just heard in these testimonies and in the testimony that I submitted, is that uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of healthcare workers will lose their jobs in a matter of weeks. Look, these folks are these folks are adamant about not getting the vaccine. Look, they have it's a choice between one's own health and the vaccine. Well, you're going to choose your health. I mean, or your job. You're going to choose your health. And again, these are hardworking, caring healthcare workers. Many of them with decades of experience. That's not easily replaced. Who's going to suffer? All of us who use the healthcare system of Ohio, when we go to the hospital and you're understaffed, uh, which they are already understaffed, okay, and there's been protests in front of uh, City Suma Hospital, several protests there, protests at the Ohio State House. I don't know if the media is telling you these things. That's what News and Focus is all about, right here at the Ohio Christian Alliance News and Focus program. Share this program with others. You can hear us on all podcast uh, platforms now. We've expanded. So look us up on the various podcast plat platforms. Just Google Ohio Christian Alliance. 
So next week, we're going to talk about religious and, and health exemptions, okay? And so we've been in communication with Liberty Council, our good friend Matt Staber, who advocates for religious liberty, as you know. And his office has just exploded with requests from all across the country, people uh, not wanting to get the vaccine because they used aborted cells, aborted fetal cells in development or testing of the uh, vaccines. So there are many people of conscientious faith who are pro-life who won't get the vaccine for that reason. Others that uh, even if they were to sidestep that issue, health reasons, blood clots, all kinds of other complications, with the vaccines as a risk, okay? And physicians aren't denying that. You know, the the people the promoters of this vaccine aren't denying that there are side effects, okay? Well, then you're you're gambling here. So at this point, you know, we all were hoping that the vaccine would work. Okay? We were all championing the vaccine, but the fact of the matter is we have to have an adult discussion about this. But now it comes down to there are those in our country who are wanting to mandate and force others against their will. That is not an American principle. It's not the principles of liberty or freedom. And certainly it's in violation of our conscience. And that's what we represent at the Ohio Christian Alliance. So we stand for life, faith, and freedom in the public square. We're going to have our annual Freedom Banquet on Friday, September 17th, which is Constitution Day, the day in which the U.S. Constitution was ratified. And we're going to celebrate at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton. Our keynote speaker is Bill Fetter, author and historian. He's going to be talking about the ills of socialism in his new book. We're going to have other special guests. We're going to have patriotic music, and we're going to be celebrating 30 years of service to the community, Christian community, faith community in the state of Ohio in public education, voter education, voter outreach, and voter registration candidate forms, all the things that we've done over the years. We're going to have a great night of fellowship together. 6 p.m. is the reception, 7 o'clock is the dinner, and you can register on our website at ohioca.org. You can go there and you can purchase your tickets so you can actually get a table of 10 for $700 or an individual ticket for $75. And again, that includes the uh, reception at 6 p.m. and the dinner program at 7. We hope that you come out and join us. It's a great way to support the Ohio Christian Alliance and all that we're about and what we're doing. And of course, we're going to be entering into a very busy year as we get into the midterms of 2022. And we're going to be fast after it as you realize what we did with the 15th Congressional District and the 11th Congressional and getting voter guides out in the 15th Congressional District in that special election earlier this month. We're going to be doing that statewide for the primary and also for the general election, making people aware where the candidates stand on life, faith, and freedom, where they stand on pro-life, where they stand on marriage, and where they stand on family values where they stand on American integrity of securing our borders. All of that will be in the voter guide that we are producing for the 2022 election, both the primary and the general election. That's what we do at the Ohio Christian Alliance, and we want you to be able to uh, join us and support. So again, to visit us at our website at ohioca.org and to sign up for the Ohio Christian Alliance Freedom Banquet Friday, September 17th. We hope to see you there. Thanks for listening, and if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. God bless.
You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.